This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to No Really I'm Fine. My name is Matt and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, who is this guy that I don't usually hear in my ears each week when I'm listening to this show? So let me explain. My name is Matt. I am the producer for this show or one of the producers of this show. And I am here because life has got in the way and it's pulled Gemma and Michael away. They're unable to record any sort of intro for this episode, so that is why I am here. And it's really nice to meet you all, so thank you so much for listening if you are. Please go and do all of the normal stuff like uh, subscribe and, and talk to us on Twitter and all of that sort of stuff that you would normally do. This week's episode is particularly exciting. It's a guy called Ben West. He has had a number of tough challenges throughout his life that he has had to overcome and deal with. One being when he was 17, he lost his brother. Uh, His brother sadly took his own life. It was traumatic for Ben. uh, And he has gone on to really turn such negative things into such brilliant positives, just like a lot of the guests that we are going to have on throughout this series. He is an inspiration. He is been campaigning tirelessly throughout his life. He has won awards. He won an ITV Pride of Britain award for fundraising. He has had petitions to try and help teachers become better trained in mental health and for it to be a compulsory thing that teachers have to understand, which is absolutely incredible. And Gemma's conversation with him is fantastic. That's all I can really say about it. It's just absolutely fantastic. And you'll get to know Ben throughout the episode. You'll get to understand exactly what he's been through and exactly what he's done to try and turn all of that negative experience into something that is really, really beautiful and positive. So I'm not going to talk for too long. I don't you normally do this. You can probably tell. Uh, but I really, really hope that you enjoy this episode. You get something out of it. I really hope that you connect with Ben's story and can find some inspiration in it. So without any more hesitation, here is Gemma and Ben West having a chat about this story. I am joined by a very special guest today, the lovely Ben West. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Are you you really fine today? Am I really fine? Um, You know what? Today, I am... I think I can answer that and go, yeah, I am. Um, I did have a bit of a boring start with lectures, but no, I am... Really good. Looking forward to going back to my flat. I think we're going to go out for a few drinks. Yeah. So today's a good day. Yeah. Good, good midweek. Exactly. Midweek. Almost there. Yeah. (laughs) So for those of us who may not know you, to our listeners, Mm. 
Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Okay. So um, I we got to go back to when I was 17 years old uh, and it was just before my A-level exams uh, and in September of 2018 when it was a very normal Sunday uh, and then I had a shower, I was lying on my bed um, ready, to, ready to, having got ready for school that I had the next day and out of nowhere there was this piercing scream um, and obviously I t- took my headphones off, ran out, outside my room and it very quickly transpired that the scream had come from my mum, who had just found my brother after he'd taken his own life. You're put into this position and suddenly you, you have to deal with something like this. And I just launched into doing CPR. How, how old were you at the time? I was Sorry. 17 mm. when it happened. Um, so you just launch into CPR and you get the um, ambulance coming. And it's weird, like probably listening to this, you're like thinking, oh, that's so emotional, that's so sad. And, well, I don't know how I'd cope, but actually it's weird. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel like I was there. It felt like as soon as I realized what happened, some, my, whoever is me inside me stepped back and it was just complete autopilot. Like a sort of adrenaline took totally. over. It was yeah. almost an out of body experience. And it was just such an animalistic and primitive way of dealing with that situation. It was like, we've got a problem. Here's how I know this can help. Let's just get in and do it. And to the point where at one point I made a joke to the 999 call handler and just laughed. I mean, you can imagine this horrific scene and you're just not really present. Um, And then obviously about half an hour of CPR later, the paramedic took over from me. And um, that's when I got that hit of emotion when I stood away and I was like, you sort of realized what happened. Totally, totally. And then I went downstairs and you're trying to find things to do. So, you know, running into the road, flagging down emergency services, vehicles and all sorts like that. And um, you know, I threw up and it, it did, didn't feel real. Mm. Nothing about it felt real. And even looking back on it now, it feels like I'm remembering someone else's night. Um, and at the time, I just remember thinking, oh, any second now, I'm just going to wake up. And, and you hear people say this all the time. You're like, ah, sure. But any second now, I'm going to wake up and it's all just going to be a figure of my imagination. It's going to be a dream. Um, and I remember standing there and I was looking at the outside of my house and there must have been three or four emergency services vehicles there with their blue lights on. And I took a photo of it because I knew in my mind, I knew that I was going to wake up and I was going to look at my phone. It wasn't going to be there. Yeah. And unfortunately, next morning it was there mm. and it all became a reality. Mm. I mean, you've talked about it a lot over over like since it happened does it get any easier talking about because you've come in and, and just started talking about it and you know do you still find it hard to talk about it or you know what what's your thought process on that again it's very much like i'm remembering someone else's night mm. so right now it just feels like i'm dictating someone else's experience which is really weird um so i can talk about it quite normally um yeah. you know obviously it's different between different talking like this and trying to help and you know there's a clear, clear we know you're helping people by opening up about our own experiences but um and then talking in a more emotional way but no for me it feels very much like i'm talking about what happened to someone else mm. and a sort of a narrative about their their life but you know sometimes it hits you goes oh actually this is me here yeah <laughs> but- and you you campaigned afterwards which we'll, we'll come to later in the podcast but um you know there's there's talk and of, of, of people's emotions after someone you know takes their own life and 
I've had a family member um, take their own life uh, and you know for some there was a lot of anger there and a lot of confusion what was what would you say was yours and your family's you know main emotion after it happened yeah so I know I, that sounds like a stupid I, question no not, not, at all, him, but... not at all um because it's just it's not how you imagine it's going to be you know there's all these um how you imagine grief to be and then once you're in it it just feels like you're in this washing machine of emotion and just churned and churned and you're trying to kick the door open trying to get out but it doesn't feel like there's any way out of it um so for as for a main emotion it's really hard to to one as a main one because you've got you'll go from guilt guilt to the point where you truly persuade yourself that it's your fault um which is horrible because you genuinely believe it's your fault as if you'd gone and say stabbed them it it's in your mind it is you that's done this um and then a day after that you'll be angry at him and then maybe another day you'll be just normal sad as you'd imagine grief to be and then another day you'll be like totally totally guilty again and it's just cycles of every possible emotion um but i feel like um, if you would put like a main one it would just have to be just nothing numbness Mm. and that sounds really weird but you go through so many periods where you just pretend it didn't happen and you just have a laugh with your mates and that's probably the main emotion i went through was mm-hmm. just num- numbness nothing um and you weren't happy you weren't ha- sad you did all my laughter was fake all my jokes yeah. my friends was fake it was just nothing and so that's probably the main one that's probably the scariest one looking back as well because it was just so empty um so yeah that's probably the main one and you, probably when you're in that empty state you feel like some, it's scary probably because you feel like you're not dealing with it because there's no emotion there at the time. Is is that something that you were scared of? Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of people were also coming up to me as because of what I'd been through and because of what I had to do. It's a very traumatic experience. And, you know, I had a lot of people completely well-meaning, but going, you've got to be careful because PTSD is a thing. <laughs> Have fun with that mm-hmm. um, sort of thing. And I was going, oh, my God, I'm numb. I'm not feeling any of this. That's just going to amalgamate into something horrendous. And that's just suddenly going to hit me. And I think there was a little bit of fear that that numbness was a was me not dealing with it and me not being affected by it, mm. and then obviously the numbness then leads to even more guilt because you go, I'm not sad. Why am I not sad? Did I not love him? What's what's going on there? And you start blaming yourself again, mm. and it's that vicious, vicious cycle that you go through. Talk to me about about your brother Sam. Then was was there any? I mean, and I know sometimes it's impossible to know you know, if someone's going to take their own life, but was there any sort of warning signs or or triggers that, that you could could see before it happened? Totally. Sam Sam was very much the class clown he, mm. in, the, in the best way. You know, he'd, he'd always make people laugh. He'd always make people smile. At home, it was the same. He'd be around the dinner table. He'd be making jokes, having a good time. Uh, he was also incredibly talented at art and music to the point where as a brother, you sort of realise that maybe you're not the not the favourite son, <laughs> but very very talented, happy, liked to play sport with his mates. That he had lots of mates as well. I've seen um, some of his paintings online; yeah, they're amazing. They are amazing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so popular, funny, and that was pretty much it. And let's remember, he was 15 years old when he died. Um, so, ha- looking back on it, obviously there's there's clear signs that go. This, yep, he was suicidal he was going through depression blah, blah, blah. but at the time 
he was 15, just like midway through puberty. What's normal? What's a 15-year-old boy? And actually, what's depression? What's suicidal? What's actually something that's really, really dangerous and, and awful? Um, and so it's easy to sit here and go, yeah, he was secluded. He, you know, he began being a little bit more, what you say, grumpy, um, stuff like that. And then go, well, that's a clear sign. But at the time, especially yeah. because I had no understanding of mental health, it was just, oh, Sam, come on. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> well, you don't think about that, do you? No, not at when all. it's when it's your younger brother, and and um, you just think, especially at that age, they're just. I mean, my my brother when he was fifteen just wanted to stay in his room and play games. So yeah, yeah, it's that. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, um, and you you've set up the Sam West Foundation now, haven't you? So talk to me a bit about that. Yeah. So when when you go through something like this, we found that a lot of people wanted to help wanted to help us sub as a family um and that was in the form of you know coming around and hugging us and giving us flowers and food and all this stuff which was amazing and we thought actually this is quite overwhelming you know our house is full of flowers and our fridge is full of food and we thought actually what we really need to do is not help us but try and stop this helping stop this happening to other families um and so i think it was a pretty family-wide decision to set up a just giving account um about a week after he died and my, I remember my dad setting up and he, he put £10,000 as a target and I just laughed. I was like, we're never going to make that much money. We're never going to make that much money. And we hit our target in a week and then we tripled that in the next few weeks to 30000 and it just kept going and going. And initially we just said we were going to put it towards mental health support for young people. Um, and it became that massive amount of money. We were like, well, we can't just that way we'd like to keep that in our you know local community at this point um so we thought well let's let's create a legacy for sam if you like and create the sam west foundation so we put it all in there and then the ball was rolling at that point now the ball was rolling for all of us and we just kept that going and mm. did more and more collected more and more money to the point where now we've raised over one hundred and ten thousand for wow. it, which is mind blowing. Yeah, I was told that the other day. I was like, "What? That's amazing! <laughs> that's insane!" Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's not us. That's everyone that's that's had the generosity. You know, we've only put a little bit of money in. Well, me personally, I think I started my just giving thing with me putting in twenty quid. So <laughs> <laughs> really, it's not us. Yeah, it's, but it's you're people a student. That, people that are helping and people that have that passion to just donate to these things and support yeah. us because like all I've done which will come on to in a bit I'm sure all of I've done is it hasn't I've had an idea I've rolled with it but it would not be the success it has been if people didn't want to support it and come along and, and actually sacrifice their time to help so you know it's not it's partly us but hey people are amazing they really are, <laughs> they are. <laughs> and the foundation's a charity now isn't it it is the Samwise Foundation yeah it was registered in like a couple months it was amazing mm. really really quick so what what's the main aims of the charity so at the moment we're supporting two projects um we are um subsidizing and promoting uh the awareness around mental health first aid uh, for teachers so we're going into schools going look we can put 16 of your staff onto this course it's evidence-based let's get them on um and we find a lot of of teachers don't actually know that they can go on these courses a lot of schools um go well actually thank you but no thank you we've got one already and it's about going huh. well done um but you know the more the merrier you mm. really don't you can't have just one in a school that doesn't it's a bit of a tick box you have to actually help you need more so it's about trying to raise awareness around that and then obviously subsidize that course for schools 
We're also working with a charity called Place to Be, um, and that a charity company, uh, social enterprise, I think it is, um, and they put um, they look at school mental health support in a sort of holistic way, and they go, well, let's put a full time counsellor in, let's create uh, support groups, let's do all this sort of thing, all these sorts of things around a school, and kind of work with the school to improve their mental health support overall, but for a much much smaller cost than if they would all to be done via the school so for instance hiring a full-time counsellor would be huge cost but they subsidize it massively and then we can subsidize that for the school as well right, so yeah. the school gets the support and not has because a lot of these schools like i went to one in uh southeast london and they can't afford to fix one of their windows they've mm. put they've paid to the cardboard box over it and they can't afford to fix it so if you chuck a fifty thousand pound um check at them for a mental health support it's just going to what can they do? Yeah. But we're trying to go into these schools and actually go, hey, we can help you with that. And your students would really, really benefit from something like this. Yeah. So those are the two we're supporting at the moment. Um, obviously, it's early days for us still. So, And we're sitting on quite a lot of money, which is great. So we're looking nationally for evidence-based projects that we can support uh, and enrol in schools. So mm. the so, journey continues. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's very positive, isn't it? Um, it's a very positive journey. And you mentioned before when, when, when Sam was alive, um, that you didn't understand mental health a, a lot. Um, I'm guessing you do now. And did you make it your mission to understand it more after what happened? It, yes, totally. Before Sam died, I, well, for example, there's an example. Um, I was in year 12 and a girl took a day off school because she had um, a panic attack. And I remember with my friends, I was just like, what a joke. Mm. She's just missed this thing. Well, that's an absolute joke. How pathetic. And... Obviously, now looking back at it, I'm horrified that I said that because panic attacks can be absolutely awful for someone to go through. Um, but at the time, that's, that was my my thought on mental health was just, you've got depression, put on a happy song and get better. What are you doing? Just stop moping around sort of thing. Um, and it was never a conscious decision for me to start understanding mental health and changing my opinion of it. But as I said before, people started pouring in this this resources and, and, and aid to us as a family. And along with that, along with the messages of support, I got a lot of people talk to me, people that I thought I knew go, hi, Ben, I've actually been diagnosed myself. I've attempted suicide three times. I've, and I suddenly realized, oh, my goodness, I'm staring at 100 people or around about that, that ballpark park figure. I thought I knew. And they've they've all had this awful thing happen to them. They're all struggling. Mm. Um, and I thought that's that's wrong that they haven't spoken, that people don't know this and mm. aren't supporting them through this because this is, I mean, that's life-changing, some of these things that people have gone through. But people don't know and they we can't support them because I would have happily supported them if I had known in that situation. And I think through that, it was it really hit home for me that it was such a massive problem and that's when that passion started to develop you know with the personal experience along with this whole knowledge that people don't want to talk to it i was I'll talk about it uh, and that that brought on me then approaching my friends about doing something to help people mm. uh, and try and open this conversation although we aim to just start that locally uh, obviously yeah. this is growing in something quite more than that now um but yeah it was just that passion that grew from finding out so many people you thought you knew but really didn't know mm. um it, it inspired this all help did that make you look at your own mental health have you ever lo looked or thought about your own through the, this experience yeah i think a lot of the time it's do as i say not as i do 
Um, but the, you do pick up things. I've been quite lucky in that a lot of what I've done that to help my mental health has been very natural and hasn't been something that I've consciously made decision to do. For example, this is my popular example. Um, I talk in the mirror to myself mm. and I used to do that all the time and I didn't really realize why. And it's just like, I've actually, I was speaking to someone the other day and apparently it's a form of therapy that people get, get oh, to really? do. Um, and you basically, what I do is I sit on the lid of my toilet and I've got my, <laughs> <laughs> and you can imagine it now, I've got my um, my mirror just there and I'm just talking talk to myself and I, I, you know, I dress myself as Ben. I'm like, look, Ben, what's going on? For example, um, my course, I really found my course boring and I didn't think I, I was, it was the right course for me. And I was like nine grand, oh, I spent that in the wrong place. And I remember coming back uh, and I was just like, right, let's sort this out. And I sat on my toilet lid and I looked in the mirror <laughs> and I said, Ben, what's going on? Okay, you clearly don't like this. And let's just, let's give yourself the steps that you're going to take to actually sort this out. And I guess it's a lot like journaling mm. in that your problems suddenly become a lot more understandable and you can kind of make them into, like journaling, you make them into a physical object or something. And then you kind of, you can put that away or sort that out. And it's very much the same. It's all out there when you say it into the yeah. mirror. And, and, you know, a lot of people find it difficult to talk to other people about problems. You know, I was, it's difficult to talk about with even the small things to yeah. people that you don't know. Um, and for me, my mirror, it's always there for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> always there, away. exactly. Always there to hold my hand. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's something I do. But I've been lucky in that that's come naturally to me. A lot of what I do, talking to my friends, that was just, I didn't really have a choice because suddenly, you know, in, put in that situation like that, everyone's coming at you. Everyone's going, do you want to go and get a drink? Let's take mm. you out for food. And I'm suddenly given this very, very warm, comfortable environment to just kind of naturally go, I really need help. Can you yeah. do something for me? <clears throat> Which obviously not a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, and I understood that as well, that, that I was quite lucky to have the people around me I did and to have, to have reacted in the way I did. Um, but yeah. So talk to me then about what happened after after the Sam foundation mm. and, and yeah, totally. in particularly the walks. Yeah. Um, so again, this was when this was at the time that everyone was coming out and saying this has happened to me. And I was just sitting there in shock that this was a thing. Um, and I remember being on the train to London and I sent a message to my friends on the group chat being like, look at all these people that are coming out um, to me. I've got so many messages. We need to do something to help people. Um, and I, we, we all of my friends did um, DOV together. Oh, okay, so we yeah. did the walking um, and we found when we started walking, things just come out. You know, you start talking about things that you wouldn't normally talk about. And we thought, how good would it be if we could get a load of people together with an underlying theme that is let's talk about mental health and just go for a walk mm. and things will just hopefully come out for people and, and we can try and fix that. Um, and I think to say it snowballed would be an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, we spent a huge amount of time when we should have been revising for A-levels um, trying to plan this walk. Uh, and a few months later in September, we walked 200 kilometers from our school in Kent to Canterbury into main uh, into central London where we finished in the Houses of Parliament and um, we we got 450 people walking we raised 15,000 pounds and we ended with a letter from Theresa May which blew us all away That's amazing. Yeah, yeah absolutely but you know what all of that the the real the big thing that that sticks with us is how many people then came after that walk came to us and said that was brilliant yeah you know that really helped me um, and there's a couple examples like I mean, one boy messaged me afterwards and said, I came home from your walk and he tore up his suicide note that he'd 
written in preparation for whatever uh, that he kept under his bed. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Mm. Um, and then another family found it really difficult to talk to their son that was going through some really, really difficult times. And I got a Christmas card Aww. saying that they really found it useful and that it was it basically changed their family dynamic. And mm. I and it's really and he the guy is starting to recover as well. So I was just like, yes. And you get so many of those messages being like, this is a good idea. This helped me. And that makes it so worthwhile. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about how difficult that start of the story was and how sad it is. Um, and I remember being at a conference once and someone told me um, your job is to make this into a happy story. You know, whatever's happened to you in the past, that's really sad. But your job, you know, success is when you can make this into a happy story. And I remember sitting there reading these notes and reading that letter and being like, this is a happy story now. Mm. That's success. We've we've made this into a happy story. Yeah. Um, and obviously help people in, in the process, which is amazing. Yeah. And you did another one, is that right? Or are you doing another one? Yeah. yeah. So we then got some people we knew at Bristol University who did a walk in May, if mm. I'm right, May this year, which was a massive success. Mm. Really, really great to be there. They're also doing one in Bristol for freshers. So oh, right. the university is actually putting on one of the walks for freshers um, to try and get university students that are joining university to actually start talking about their mental health mm. um, because it clearly works, which is so nice for me as well because we haven't actually had to plan that. We've pushed it a little bit. And we put that on them being like, look, use our use this image, use our story and try and get people to do this because we can show you this evidence that it works. Mm. And that that's really nice for us that people have actually soaked this up and, and run with it, which is so good. Yeah. But yeah, we've had two more walks. We're trying to plan one for next year in uh, next summer. But obviously with uni, it's a bit of a bit of a task. But yeah. we are trying. Yeah. We'll have to give up on the social life for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how we go. <laughs> you know, when people ask, how, what's your big top tip for people that are going through this? I just say, just find a, that gem of positivity. It's hidden somewhere mm. in that world of dark, but you've got to just find it, grab it and embrace it and hold on to it because that's what gets people through hard times. Yeah. You just need a little bit of hope, a little bit of positivity. And that's what this was for me at the start. It was just that light sort of thing in a world of darkness and a world yeah. of pain. And it got me through and it slowly builds and here I am at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and is it um, coming up to a year? Since the walk. No, um, sorry, is it uh, um, your brother's... So he, it was 2018, so almost two years. I think it's just over a year and a half. September, uh, sorry, January 21st. Right, yeah. Yeah, so that's a nice hard day. And it comes in with, um, right in in the monks of exams as well, between the exams, which is great. Do you normally go home or if you can? No, I don't have a choice. I have to do it. So, I mean, last year, which was the one year anniversary, I had a structural materials exam. Oh, that was awful. Uh, but I told them, I was like, look, I'm, you've, you, if you're not going to give me a choice to do it another day, I'm just going to do, do awfully in this test. I've yeah. told you this audibly, like, I'm not going to pass this test. But I did, which was nice. Oh, and it's gosh. nice when you do well in it and you, yeah. you, know, you didn't really think you were. But also, it's just around that time, it's quite, quite sad, you know, and yeah. you don't really want to sit down and revise. Yeah. Which was a big reason for starting the walk, actually, because I didn't really want to be home, not doing anything, because then all the thoughts come in and, you know, you're sitting next to the rug that's been put over the massive blood splatter from where, where they, the ambulance crew tried to save him. And, and it's just like, I can't do that. And I don't want to revise because that's just not what I want to do. That's not going to help me at all in my mindset. And I was like, I need to do something. So friends, 
you know, mm. let's do something. Let's do something fun and positive. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what the walk turned out to be. Yeah, the walk to talk group. Walk to talk. Mm. And and your friends are part of that, aren't they? Yeah. 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 yeah More so than me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I went to Nepal for a month okay. before 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 the walk. I just left them to it, and they so they're the success story, really. Yeah, of the walk. They're the reason it was so good. You, I was just like, "Hi guys, I'm it. back. How's it going?" <laughs> Brilliant. But like, oh, I can, yeah. I'll never speak enough. Um, you know, I'll never, never give them enough praise for how good they've been to me. You know, from day one, honestly, just surrounded me. And obviously, in that that period when he died, you know, you don't eat. I just had no appetite, and I remember on I think it was a Wednesday. They were like, Ben, we're going to Wagamama's. <laughs> and I don't I don't know if it was to, for me or not, but I remember getting there and I had a ramen and it was the first thing I'd eaten and it was just amazing. So, but since day one, they've been there and they've been so passionate about it. And so, yeah, they're great. Yeah. But so, so is everyone. Yeah. It's like when you get into this, you're like, oh, I love people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're so amazing. What do you think Sam would think of success and what you've done? Yeah, this is quite a common question. Um, it's so difficult to answer. Mm. It's because you know, like, I don't, obviously you hope that he's he's really proud, and obviously it's something that he he was affected by to the extreme. You know, this issue killed him, and the fact that he wasn't able to talk to people. If we can try and you know save a life, you know that's great for us. But really, that makes his life worth it. That makes his suffering worth it. Mm. Obviously, I can't speak on his behalf, but that's what I'd hope. You know, just go, yes, good. I had an awful time. I was struggling so much, but you've managed to use your experience or use what he's done to, to try and help someone else. And I think that's something that he'd be really proud of. This is a difficult question that I'm going to ask, sure. um, but I'm sure you thought about it. Um, ha- when you mentioned guilt before, have you ever thought, Sam, why did you not just speak to me? Why didn't you not just speak to mum or dad or me or my yeah. brother, you know? Have you, has that ever crossed your mind? Totally. I think that goes in the whole anger thing. Yeah. Um, it comes kind of amalgamated with that. So you kind of go, I am so angry. You could have come to me. You could have knocked on my door. Although, you know, to be fair, if someone had said, I've got depression to me, what would I have said? Um, because I was clearly not in the accepting mind frame at that point. Um, I remember being told he was dep- diagnosed with depression and I just kind of went, what's that i mm. don't know i'm just going to ignore that that was happened that's been i've been told that um but you were still young yourself at the time weren't yeah, you? Well, i was 17 when i was told that but obviously you're angry and i think you know he could have he did have the opportunity to say that and it i think now i've kind of gone there's a stigma and the stigma is really to blame there you know he could have come to me but the stigma stopped him from doing that. He thought I was going to treat him differently. And it kind of, at this point, fuels me to try and help some more people to try and break down that stigma a little bit more because you can see that how, well, obviously I've been affected so massively by it in, in a different way to most people have. So at this point, it just fuels me to try and do it, to help people more. Um, but also it comes to the whole guilt thing, you know, rephrase the question, why didn't I go and ask? Mm. Why didn't I go and, and ask him if he was okay or say, hey, do you want to talk? Um, and then that just, again, with the cycle, you go anger, guilt, anger, guilt, mm. numbness, pain, blah, and it's just everything. So you yeah. still have those thoughts? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, you work out ways to deal with it. Mm. And also you can rationalise it as well. So if I suddenly go, oh, it was my fault, so I should have done that. You can go, whoa, step on, Ben. Step back, mm. Ben. 
let's talk let's go to the mirror right <laughs> the mirror's here for you <laughs> um and then you just kind of rationalize it and you go like there's nothing you could have done because mm-hmm. it's, it's the illness isn't it you wouldn't blame yourself for, for cancer would you no unless in, apart from some extreme situations you wouldn't go oh i should have spotted the lump or something you, yeah. you wouldn't um and so it's the same but it's just a natural process of grief it's mm. very very natural mm. it's as natural as laughing really mm. think about it so and and how have your mum and dad been and, and what do they think of all the all the work and campaigning that you've been doing yeah so, so again obviously similar story washing machine of emotion um and they've been amazing i mean they're so inspirational look at that to lose your son and then set up a charity and and do all this work and oh, it's just amazing so that's a real inspiration for me to, to keep going as well you know mm. you're gonna go wow these people um also they're my competition they've got a charity i've got i've got up my game <laughs> but um do some more walks. yeah exactly it's cool put a, put a thing on instagram try and get some more money um <laughs> but no they've obviously had their that issues you know uh themselves you know we i feel like we um we all deal with this differently and and but we all kind of have the same emotion at some point uh and you know it's not an easy thing to go through especially as a parent um but they are very yeah no very proud and i think that's what makes me choke up a little bit more than anything else actually is when they tell me they're proud mm. like i remember that at one of i think it was at a memorial just as we were pl- planning the walk they said that and i was like oh that got me. Yeah. How did the, how did what I was talking about not get me? And then what, what my mum just said proper hit me. But it, it did. And I don't know why that is. But it's just, it's amazing. Mm. It's am- but the thing is, you li- live in such a supportive environment. Mm. Everyone I meet is just incredible. Especially in the whole mental health or campaigning side of things. They're just so good. Even on Twitter, I don't even get abuse. It's like, yeah. yes, holy great. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you don't. Yeah. But apart from one tweet that Esther McVeigh tweeted me, and that got a little bit heated. Right. Yeah. But um, apart from that, Let's fine. Let's not talk about Esther. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But no, um, it's been so lovely. Lovely to be able to fall back on, on that lovely when net with my little mirror. Yeah. <laughs> my friend there's <laughs> something I was going to ask oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I think for me it's sometimes easier to talk to friends about you know what you're going through than it is family because you're worried that you're going to upset your family Do you, what would you sort of say um, or what advice would you give to someone like a brother or a sister who feels like one of their family members is going through what Sam did mm-hmm. what, what would you say to them yeah it's so difficult i get this question actually i get this question a lot um on instagram you it's really hard because obviously at the time and i've had this happen you know it's so easy for me to sit here and go you need to go and say something you need to go and hug them you need to go and ask how they are but it's really difficult to do Mm. in the moment you know it's really hard to do that but it's so important that you just ask you know are you okay yeah, I'm fine. Are you really okay? Let's sit down. Let's let's talk about this, you know. And then suddenly, it does open up. Mm. You know, I had one girl that um, I knew quite well that, that messaged me and said this, and it was about her sibling. And you know, she had never spoken to her before about this sort of thing. And I told her just go and go into her room, just ask her if she's okay. And if she says no, um, then just talk about things you know and mm. let, her, let her talk at you and just listen and i got a message later and it said yeah i've done that ben and we've got all this help sorted out and she's she's actually opened up to me um and then obviously from that for the person struggling 
the sibling or the mom or the dad or whoever, they have that person now that they've shared the, the weight, you know, because mm-hmm. it is a weight on your shoulders. And once yeah. you have that person that you can talk to, that you've already broken down that barrier, you know, um, it makes it life so much easier, so much more positive. And it's about hope as well. Hope gets you through so much. Mm. Um, and once you can talk to someone and someone can literally go, you're going to be okay. There we go. That's that spark of hope. And all you need in these situations is a spark because that can carry you through hell uh, as long as you grab hold of it and, and embrace it. So I'd say definitely, although it's so hard to do, and I appreciate that because I'd find it really, really difficult. And I do find it really, really difficult. Approach them, go into their room, just be like, are you okay? When Do you want to talk? If they say no, that's absolutely fine. At least they know that you are there to talk yeah. to. Um, and then maybe if they do say no, maybe talk to your parents about it if they don't already know or be like, look, I know you don't want to talk to me about it, but you could go to the GP or there's the, the amazing crisis text manage- messenger, which is texting shouts to 85258 for free. Uh, and that's so easy. Just stuff like that. Just give them something that they can do. It doesn't have to be, let's sit down. Tell me what you're going, what's happening yeah. to you. You know what I mean? Just give options and just show that you care. Mm. Um, so that, but I, obviously I agree. That is much, much easier said than done. Yeah. Much yeah. easier said than done. Uh, it is a big, big thing to do, but mm. it's so important, especially when, you know, I promise you, however glamorous it sounds, what I've done, you do not want to be the person sitting in this chair talking on a podcast about your brother's death. I promise mm. you. Um, I'd much, much rather be a student getting getting drunk uh, <laughs> and nothing of this, none of this ever happens. But, mm. you know, you've got to make the best of a bad situation. But don't be me. Be um, be the person that goes and asks your siblings. How are you? So what, what's next for you, Ben? What is next? Um, well, so at some point I've got to try and do a degree, <laughs> um, which is, you know, that's going well. <laughs> um, so we've got our petition, which is a, an extraordinary number of signatures now, 210,000. And given the state of the government at the moment, we are holding back on that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are ready to pounce when everything calms down. We're going to go and hand our petition in. We've got MPs that are ready to champion it. Whether they'll still be in a job at the when we do, who knows? But hey, um, we've got MPs that are ready to champion it, and we're going to try our very best to change um, change legislation around mental health support in schools. Uh, changing, well, in particular, changing the legislation that requires then requires teachers to be trained in mental health first aid um, through teacher training mm. and making that an industry standard. Uh, that's that's our goal. Yeah. So. It's, it's funny, one. actually, with the petition, because we started it as a sort of excuse. So we had a lot of people that had, that had kind of followed us on Instagram, that had been involved in the walk, and we went, wow, we can't we can't stop here. How do we show these people we're not stopping um, without having to invest three months into planning a small walk? Yeah. Um, and we thought, oh, petitions, they're always going around, and they never, they never actually get enough signatures to do anything. So we'll just put one of those up and... Um, you know we'll get a few it'll tick away and we won't have to do anything about it <laughs> yeah so about a week after we set it up i got a message on the group chat being like ben 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 look on the website and we got sixty thousand signatures in a day oh my god and then it kept climbing which at the time was amazing yeah. you know sick and again with the whole support and and it's been surprise 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 throughout the whole thing which has been so good but part of me was like Oh my goodness, this is a task. How do, how do we actually, you know, we've got 210,000 people sitting there going, okay, and what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's been really good. I'm so glad we did that because for me, oh, you know, you had that the knowledge of campaigning, if you like, and I had a bit of a basic knowledge, but I've now been kind of forced to go, MPs, 
let's do something. Let, talk to me about legislation. Let, let's learn about this. And I was on the train the other day and um, obviously a controversial character probably, but um, Tony Blair's um, uh, director of political cooperations was sitting next to me and I recognized him. And he gave me his card and I'm just, I'm ready to talk to these people and, you know, get everyone together around the table, um, get mental health campaigners, all these sort of people around the table and go, let's, what would you do from here? You know, instill all of your knowledge onto me. Let's actually try and get this to be a thing. And for a while, um, I used to say, we're going to take the petition to number, uh, to um, government. Um, we're not expecting it to go anywhere because they have their own agenda. I said that for ages. And now I'm like... Why was I saying that? You know, you've got to go there expecting to be able to have a have a stab at it. Mm. So now we've proper prepared to bring these people around the table, sit them down with the petition, hand it in and go, right, yes. debate. Make this, why should your approach be better than mine sort of thing? Because mm. um, I believe that ours is more sustainable and more cost effective. So mm. we will see how that goes. But that's the next step, really. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, you've won lots of awards, haven't you? And you've yeah. entered a few more recently. Yeah. I noticed on Instagram. Yeah, this I, I again like it, I have massive imposter syndrome, you know. So I don't know why any of this is happening. You know, like I said before, my friends were the success of the first one. They were, but that's not being for me trying to be modest or anything. They were, um, and throughout this whole thing, you know, for me, part of why I'm doing this is it's because it's a coping mechanism for me, and obviously, you know, we help people. It's a bit of a byproduct of it, but. I still, you know, oh yes, I have won awards, but you know, it's just, it doesn't feel right. And I get like the Just Giving Awards uh, that I'm, well, I'm shortlisted for. I've got two other people in my category and um, we get the results of that on the 22nd at the ceremony. And I remember opening it when it was released. And I mean, the two people I'm against are just incredible, almost the point where you'd win it and you'd just be like, oh no, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> but they are amazing. And I just feel like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm digging the hole now, but no, it's... It's a bit overwhelming. It, totally. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, you do feel undeserving of it, but, you know, people have told me that I am, apparently, so... You are, we'll and you, you've won a Diana Award as well, haven't yes, you? Yes, which was incredible. Um, yeah, and I, I'm, I met the um, deputy CEO a while ago, and, you know, then happened to get an email saying, hey, well done, you've won a Diana Award, went to the um, award ceremony there. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. So amazing. And again, it's just nice to have this recognition. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were a group of 18, 19 year olds that were like, let's do something. And now we've got a letter from Theresa May, national awards. It's just ridiculous. Um, and it just shows, you know, you don't have to, to have the knowledge, you have to have all this experience. You can just have passion and really just run with an idea and for it to become a successful. So, yeah, look at that. And final question. Okay. It's going to be a hard one. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> if your brother was here right now, yeah. what, what would you say to him? Mm. I'm that sure you've been asked that question. before. Yeah, in some form, yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? Obviously, you know, um, you just, I don't think you'd say anything really, would you? Mm. You know, I feel that goes for anyone that's lost someone that they love. You wouldn't say anything, you just go and hug them. Yeah. And for me, I think, you know, we come back to what we say about emotion uh, and the emotions you go through and throughout grief. And I think... You know, there's one that's denial. Um, that's quite a big one. And I think for me, that's that's still there. You know, even a year and a half on, it's still there. You still have that part of your brain that's like, he's going to phone me up any minute now and just ask Ben, Ben, can I be collected from school? Or you'll sit at home and the door will knock and he'll come in. And like, that's still a part of the thing, you know, for me. Um, but yeah, what, what would I say? I mean, it, just the obvious really like, 
I'd probably ask why at some point, but it would take me, you know, a while to actually get to the point of, of looking into details. But I think that would be, yeah, and a, a very emotional encounter, I'd imagine. Mm. Um, but yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, no, Ben. Thank and, you and, so and, much. And um, talking about Sam and his legacy and all the great things you're doing. And I wish you all the luck for the future and do keep us updated. Oh, I will. Thank you so much thank for you. having me on. Thank, thank you. you.